The Front Row on 97.9 ESPN Radio is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet in Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Tom Block and Keith Jones, as uh, you just heard. KJ, good to be back by your side. How are you? Always a pleasure, Tommy. Got to figure out, are you going to be Tom officially and I call you Tommy, or how do you want that to go forward? I, I could live with that. Okay. I could live with that. I'm, although nowadays I'm old enough that, you know, I, I don't need to shed. I probably should cling to the Tommy label as opposed to when I tried to toss it to the side when I was trying to appear older. Now I've already got that, that box checked. Understood. It's been... Um, what, 15 months since we did a show together? And uh, I want the audience to know that Keith and I have spent almost every hour of those 15 months uh, preparing for today's show. So Very much so. It has been a sole focus of my entire life's existence uh, to uh, get back on the air with you. Yeah, so that said, expect mediocrity for the next uh, 60 minutes. But we are pleased uh, to debut the show today. Uh, the front row will be uh, with you each and every Wednesday, uh, not just during football season, but uh, we actually signed on for a full year. So I look forward to July, Keith, because that's always an exciting time in, uh, in Tallahassee when you talk sports. Well, we, we do bring some uh, other things to it. With my basketball and you're doing uh, baseball and some of the Olympic sports, uh, you know, I, I think we'll have something to add in the non-football-related months. No, no question about it. But uh, pleased to be uh, on board here at uh, – uh, ESPN Tallahassee and uh, follow uh, the legend that is Jeff Cameron. That said, uh, it's also a, 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 an honor for me, KJ, even though we've become friends over the years to uh, be by your side. Of course, for those who don't know you, and, and I don't know how many of those folks exist anymore, probably the actually the under 25 set probably doesn't know who Keith Jones they, is. They struggle. They do. Yeah. So Keith Jones used to uh, wear number 28 before Warwick Dunn wore number 28 and played safety for FSU in the formative years under uh, Coach Bowden. Uh, and uh, we, we could talk at length about this at other points i'll just i'll I'll put this little bullet here espn likes to you know introduce your analyst and then what tagline do you want to put with him how about 4-0 against the gators can we just go with that one does that work for you or you want something else that one works fine uh my group the first to be able to do that and uh in fact i was uh in orlando last week and uh, a young lady who actually graduated before i did from uh that other school uh, was trying to convince others that uh, they had actually won in 77 and 78. And uh, I uh, inter- uh, interjected that I had firsthand knowledge that that was not the case, that Florida State was victorious. And, in fact, in 77, uh, one of my dad's uh, ex-friends, uh, when we were leaving the game, was on the CB radio, you know, Breaker 1919, this just in, Florida State 37, you premium 9. <laughs> Three field goals were all that the Gators got in 77. But we'll, we'll uh, not uh, digress all the way back I was, was going to say, we, in an attempt to uh, lure in the 25-year-olds, we've just lost them uh, again. So let's, let's uh, uh, set the menu a little bit here. Obviously, uh, the focus of this show will be Florida State-centric, but uh, what we're hoping to do each and every week is uh, maybe throw out a, a, a topic that's uh, national, regional in focus related to college athletics, whether it's uh, cost of attendance is a big one right now, whether it's uh, concussions and how colleges are addressing them. And then we'll take a, a Florida State slant on that. But obviously we're going to talk a lot about FSU football and FSU athletics. With, with us living in Tallahassee, with you continuing to do your sideline work, you're still the host of uh, of the Jimbo Fisher call, uh, show. Uh, we, we've been involved uh, in the call-in show. That was kind of interesting. Last year there was a couple of times when Jimbo had conflicts that uh, required him to be on the road. And and uh, that it took two of us to be Jimbo for the call-in show. Uh, but with the abilities uh, that, that we've had historically, the things that we're plugged in with, I think uh, we can bring a different uh, light 
to either you know, issues related to Florida State and to Tallahassee. And then, as you mentioned, uh, one of the things I wanted to make sure that we did as we go forward is, is maybe take a little bigger look at the national photo and, and how that impacts Florida State, not just football, but the other sports as well, things like full cost of attendance, which is being implemented in the in the 2015-2016 academic year. So there's just there's issues that affect Florida State that are beyond just Tallahassee, and we want to try to balance uh, both of those. No, no question. So uh, this show will evolve. It'll be a work in progress, uh, which is, uh, you could say, probably for our entire careers at this point, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll continue to plow, plow ahead. But uh, we will have uh, Tim Linnefelt from Seminoles.com join us on a weekly basis for a segment each and every week, and uh, he'll be our Seminoles.com insider, and so we'll chat with Tim uh, in a little while and really get uh, uh, dig deep sort of into what's going on at FSU practice right now. That said, uh, thirty thousand foot view, KJ. As as you look at this twenty fifteen season, and this has been bandied about and talked about in the media for the last few weeks because there's nothing else to talk about about what's going on in practice and the depth chart and this and that. What what are you most focused on going into this year? Well, two things. Number one, and, and I'll probably be a little different than most folks because they would say the quarterback um, uh, situation, but my bigger focus going in is the defense. Uh, Coach Kelly and his group, uh, you know, much maligned last year, uh, even though they had a number of kids uh, that were drafted, uh, underclassmen that were drafted, just say, well, that kind of talent, why didn't that defense perform better? And uh, finding ways to correct that, finding ways to add to that, and hearing about the things that have happened here in the early going of camp, uh, that becomes my big focus because I think Florida State needs to start this year because of the quarterback situation with a much stronger defense and a much better kicking game, both in uh, kickoffs, kick returns, punt returns, that type of thing, as you wait for the quarterback situation to unfold and develop. So first thing I'm looking for is what's the improvements on defense? And so far reports out of camp is that the, the improvements have been there. A little bit shaky at linebacker. Uh, but it has been talked about, uh, you know, Florida State's going to be in their nickel package or their dime package 70, 80 percent of the time. We're we're done with seeing four down linemen and three linebackers the majority of times uh, Florida State's taking the field on defense. That's just not the case with the way offenses are, are adjusting and going three and four or five wide. Uh, so defense, and then secondly, the obvious elephant in the room, well, what shakes out in the quarterback situation? Is it Everett? Is it Sean? Is it start with one, go the other? Do you play both of them? Is it situational? That all yet to be determined. We'll talk more about that uh, in, in our next segment, and as this show progresses, and obviously quarterbacks, you know, much to the chagrin of defensive guys like you, although you were a quarterback in high school, always get uh, all the attention. So well, they, we'll get focus all, on they get all the blame and all the credit, I, and they don't deserve either. I, I do think you have an interesting, uh, and I don't want to get all the way into this right now, but but you played at a time for Florida State when there was a two-headed quarterback system. And uh, you know, generally the, the axiom is if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. So I, I, I you know, your perspective on that because it worked during your day with Wally Woodham and Jimmy Jordan. I don't know how, you know, I don't know that that's been the track record for Jimbo or what he would truly like to do. And we'll just see how it plays out. I, I don't think that's a viable option in today's environment for a number of reasons that, that we won't spend the time to get into. But uh, And I think Jimbo uh, philosophically wants to know who his starter is, who to get ready for the game, but know that if he has to play the backup because of injury or poor performance, that backup can continue to do all the things that are asked of them. They're not uh, just going in as the number two and have a very limited playbook. The playbook needs to continue to be as wide open with number two as it is with number one. 
very broad uh, questions here in, in the last couple of minutes of this first segment. So, first of all, Florida State preseason polls, I don't know, between 9 and 12, depending on what you look at. Uh, is that where they should be? Yes. Uh, a lot of people think Florida State are overrated, but uh, I'm still from the old school. You get a little bit of credit for where you finished last year. And uh, obviously, Florida State won the four playoffs. Well, not if teams. you factor game control into it, you don't. Then well, they'd be out of the top twenty-five right now. Let's uh, let's factor in how many kids wear size thirteen shoes or bigger, because that's about as uh, effective in a measurement of uh, efficiency as game control. Uh, am I clear on that? <laughs> Understand. Uh, uh, what what about from the ACC perspective? Then Clemson was the pick to win the Atlantic. Well, it, fa- it, fair or unfair? I mean, what? How did you vote? It's you time. Were the, it, it's time. It, yeah. I, I voted for Florida State. I did not vote for Clemson. I voted Florida State one, Clemson two in in uh, the division. But you've got to remember that that's a very heavily uh, uh, skewed uh, group of writers in the in the Carolina area. Oh, that's a whole other topic for another exactly. Show. <laughs> and and candidly, Clemson should be better this year. Florida State should be at least where they were or maybe a little less. So if you look at it from that perspective, there's nothing wrong with voting Clemson uh, to to win the division and Florida State to finish second. I just think that uh, from the old school perspective, you get a little credit from where you finished. And FSU was one of the top four programs in the country last year. A little bit of carryover, I think, goes into and why some would be critical of where they're at right now. I'll give you an easy out on this one. Ohio State's the pick to, to win everything. Uh, I'll just give you a yes, no. You, I won't even make you name who's going to win it if it's not them. I, I think Ohio State might be the one of the teams that plays for it, but uh, I don't think Ohio State will repeat. I think there's just too much, uh, too much of a cross to yeah, bear when yeah, you're the. Yeah, yeah. I, I tend to agree on that. Uh, I mean, last year at this time, it was everybody singing the praises of Florida State, and the year didn't unfold anything like what we expected it to in terms of. You know, two seasons ago, FSU just had teams down by four touchdowns and stepped on their throat in the first quarter. Last year was the exact opposite. They teased them all the way along, and then with five minutes to go in the game, they found a way to win. So I, I would I would tend to agree with that. We are going to uh, dig deeper into the quarterback situation here uh, momentarily. Tom Block, Keith Jones, you're, you're listening to history, folks, the first ever inaugural edition of the front row, and there's more to come. And welcome back to the front row. Tom Block and Keith Jones with you, broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the All Saints District of Tallahassee. KJ, how you doing? Doing good. Good, doing good. We've got a, uh, you know, we, we promised uh, in segment one that we'd talk about the quarterback battle at uh, Florida State when we return, and we're going to do that, but we're going to try and add uh, some interesting insight and perspective to this because a former Florida State quarterback uh, joins us now, and, and we're pleased that he's taken the time to do so. And uh, this is a guy who now is cutting his teeth as a college coach, uh, as a quarterback coach, in Clint Trickett. So, Clint, uh, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. How you doing? Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. And uh, for those who who don't know, obviously Florida State fans know when you when you left FSU, you went and played at West Virginia. Uh, but uh, now you've entered the coaching ranks, and I, and I guess I'll start there. You're at East Mississippi Community College, which I, I did not know. I'll confess till I looked it up that uh, I thought Florida State had been successful of late until uh-huh. I looked and uh-huh. saw that East Mississippi's won three national titles in four years. They're number one in the polls this year, won two straight, 24 straight games overall, and 44 of 46. So I guess the standard is pretty high where you are right now. 
Yeah, my job title is basically to come in and not screw it up. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, on a more serious note, I mean, uh, you, you obviously come from a, a coaching family with with your dad Rick still being uh, on Jimbo staff here. Uh, so you grew up as a coach's kid, and that's probably got some good elements to it, and probably got some some not so good elements to it. So, uh, just kind of walk us through your mindset. And, and you've got brothers in coaching too. Of uh, mm-hmm. maybe it was a natural, but uh, you, you certainly have a perspective on what you're getting into. I mean, absolutely. That was my my mindset growing up was always I wanted to play as long as I could, uh, and then get into coaching whenever my playing days were over. Uh, unfortunately, my playing days were over a little sooner than I expected or hoped. But you know, that's how life happens sometimes. So, uh, got into coaching, was offered this job. It, it was I was you know more than willing to take it. It was it's a, like you said, it's a great opportunity for me uh, to get full time coaching, recruiting, all that experience. Um, plus had a great winning you know program so clint kj here i go back uh and uh 30 seconds of uh, personal privilege i think the way you handled your departure from here the way that you uh shined at west virginia and what i expect is going to be a stellar coaching career uh my hat's off to you my uh my man uh, i i think your class and the, and the dignity that you exhibited is well recognized in tallahassee and uh, you you leave here and hopefully will come back often a very very respected member of the seminole family and i hope you feel that way well, i appreciate it i mean i love tallahassee i went to high school there graduated from florida state so it all it's always going to be a you know, a part of me, but you know, I ain't gonna lie. Deep down, I'm I'm a West Virginia kid. I will admit it. That's where I grew up. Uh, that is my home. So I was more than I was. That was going back up there, playing up there was you know a dream come true for me. So yeah, and you mentioned your career was cut short prematurely, and that was due to concussions. And and you know, I want to save that part of the conversation for a few minutes down the road. But to your point about being at home in West Virginia. Uh, you know, you're, you're. I don't know how many they've been. There've been Russell Wilson is probably the most high profile that got his degree in one place, transferred and played somewhere else. Uh, you certainly did that and, and played for two years at West Virginia. And now here's Everett Golson uh, attempting the same thing at FSU. A little bit different for Golson in that he didn't grow up in Tallahassee, or in, and and you know he probably doesn't know nearly as many guys on the FSU team coming in as maybe what you knew going to West Virginia. But having been there, done that. Uh, you know, what advice or, or what perspective can you add about what, what this uh, transition will be like for Everett Golson at FSU? Yeah, it, it is. I'll, first thing I'll say, it's tough. You know, it, it's not an easy thing, and kind of people think that way just because the way Russell Wilson did it. Well, Russell Wilson's, you know, he's a, he's a different dude all himself. It's tough to come in and one summer learn the offense and start and be successful. If y'all don't remember, it took me to my fourth game of my junior year to get started up at West Virginia. I didn't come in and, and get it right off the bat, um, and that's and that's in a very simple offense up at West Virginia. But uh, and, and just the same thing for Jake last year at Alabama. You know, it, it's tough. Um, it, there's a lot of factors that go into it. You picking up the offense, you winning over the locker room, and also the other guy who's already been there has to almost kind of concede it because um, it's going to be tough for you just to take it. But uh, it, it, my, I've talked to Everett once. Um, seemed like a good kid. He was working in there. He was doing extra work the one time I met him, so that's a good step in the right direction. Um, he, he seems like he's got a good on, head on his shoulders. The good thing with him is he has a lot of experience in big games already, um, so that is going to help him. Um, he's just got to – I think what he's done so far in, in camp, um, it, it, showing that he, he can learn the offense, just his willingness to learn is going to help 
win over the locker room because if you come in trying to act like a big dog, then that's that's not going to help. If you if you're willing to learn and know that you know you're you're in the position that you have to learn, I think that's going to help. You know, win over the locker room. Clint, you know uh, Sean McGuire. You played with him. Uh, how would you describe him? And and based on uh, either conversations you've had with your dad or things that you've read about, how well has he handled the situation? You know, I, I'm I'm good friends with Sean. Um, I, we, that quarterback group when I was there, we we're all good friends. So I still talk to Sean on a regular basis. I know whenever it came in, I, I talked to him and, thought, and wanted to see how he was, what he's thinking. And first thing he says is like, "Oh, that's." It don't mean nothing to me. That just means it's, you know, another guy. You know, he's he's still thinking he's the guy, and that's the my, mindset he has to have. He's an extremely competitive kid. Um, he ain't going to concede it by by no means. He, it's only going to raise his game. Um, I think he's, you know, definitely in, uh, more than adequate um, quarterback for, you know, Florida State. He started one game last year, the, probably the biggest game of the all-season, besides the, the Rose Bowl of the ACC Championship, and – and you won. So <laughs> not much more you can ask from the kid. Let me ask you this. You know, there's a lot of talk, uh, obviously, with the success that Jimbo has had in developing quarterbacks, three first-rounders in a row, but how yeah. he'll adapt his offense to whoever the guy ultimately is. So, you know, when it was Christian Ponder, he ran him a little bit more, maybe did more option with EJ, and certainly with Jameis, he let him get back and dissect the defense. You had you had a stint when EJ was hurt, and, and uh, I forget what, maybe I guess it was 2011, when you when you got a chance to play a few games there, uh, you know, and, and being in the segment room, how much of that does Jimbo? Because Jimbo publicly won't talk a lot; he'll, he'll tell you it's the same offense sort of thing. But but did you get a sense for how much he re, he truly did adapt it to? Well, you know, Clint can't do this, but he can do this. So let's let's pull these plays out and let's put these in. Well, obviously with EJ, there was more of a run factor than there was me. You know, that's no brainer right there. Uh, so we had to open up the passing game a little bit more when I got in there, and uh, that's what we did. And we were, you know, semi-successful um, when, when I was in there doing that. And as far as his offense, he is—he says it's pro style, and it is, but it's so multiple it can be, you know, anything. Then we had similar concepts that we ran up at West Virginia, and that's an air raid offense, you know. So he—he's he, got—he does so much that it can be—it can be almost any kind of offense you want it to be. You you made uh, I don't want to pick on West Virginia here. I understand you had a great experience there. You made the comment that it was a, a simple offense and it took you to the fourth game to get into it. So uh, you know that offense compared to what Jimbo's doing at Florida State. Uh, I mean, can you compare and not really contrast? But I mean, how much more difficult is Jimbo's offense? I mean, it just kind of tells you how difficult it is to transfer in. My time at at Florida State. The re- the ability the re- the what the reason why I was able to play and be semi successful when I was there was because I knew the offense. It wasn't because I was you know such a good quarterback. It was because I knew the ins and outs of the offense. And then I transfer up and try and learn this such a quote unquote simple offense in one summer, and I can't do it. It just shows you how hard that is to do it to be able to be the guy. And I say it is simple, but there's so many. The base base of it is simple, but there's so many you can change a play. The the air raid and what Jimbo does are complete opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, Jimbo's you know here. Let's dissect what the defense is doing, and then the air raid mentality is: I don't care what the defense is doing. We're going to do what we do. We just got to do it fast before the defense gets set. So it's two completely different mindsets, and that took a while for me to get adjusted to it. I guess a silly question, Clint. What what are you going to do uh, in your new position there? What what's what's a, a tricket offense going to look like? It, it's going to be more of what I what we did at West Virginia. 
um, than, you know, Florida State. I'm going to have some similar Florida State concepts because I think what Jimbo did was very successful, obviously. Um, but I'm, you know, he, he's definitely has his, like, as long as he's winning, but he has, like, definitely the NFL uh, background to it. I'm more just, I'm a college guy. Whatever's going to be successful at the college level, um, that's, that's what I'm going to do. I want to go back to the the point you brought up earlier about your career ending your, your playing career ending prematurely. You had uh, several concussions at West Virginia, and, and when you uh, retired, I guess if that's the correct term, and maybe it is, uh, you, you confessed that uh, you know a couple of those you concealed from from athletic trainers too, and and I'm sure that that goes on uh, offense, defense, every school in the country. I mean, from your point of view, is that pretty com- how significant of an issue is that? Not just concussion, not just concussions. I'm talking about the the desire for players to be on the field, and so they hide their symptoms and their concussions from trainers. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, like you said. For mine, the only time that they knew that I had a concussion, I was knocked out. So it was kind of a yeah, obviously. But uh, um, that's just what it is. You never, especially being the quarterback, you don't want to. You can never take yourself off the field. That's the kind of mentality you have to have to earn that leadership role, especially when, like me, you're a transfer kid and you're trying to win the team over. Uh, that's kind of that's kind of how it all evolved. I'll ask you. Uh, let, let's transition back to your team a little bit a little bit more. Uh, you have a couple of former FSU guys there. Uh, one question about a guy who obviously made a lot of headlines uh, this summer, and that's DeAndre Johnson. And my understanding is he's enrolled there. He's not going to play football. Uh, this season, uh, I guess, just talk about that decision and what you guys are trying to do to help him uh, get his life back together. That's kind of one thing we talked about uh, when when we were uh, recruiting him. When I was recruiting him, I said, "Hey, man, you for us, you ain't going to be able to play this year. What you're going to have to do is you're going to have to complete a certain number of community service hours. You're going to have to work with some better women's shelters. You're going to have to do this uh, and and have a almost a mentor lady on campus whose husband played in the NFL." Uh, and, and you got to until we know that you've, uh, you know, completed that. That's then you'll we'll be able to get back to football. And he was completely receptive to it. Um, a lot of it was honestly his idea. Um, so he's he's definitely making amends for it. Uh, makes no excuse at all for what he did. Uh, it was a terrible incident. But you know he he made a mistake when he was 18 years old. Doesn't mean he has to throw away his whole career for it. And, and Clint, the other kid, uh, a couple of them, but uh, staying at the quarterback position, John Franklin. Um, you know, I know you've got some other guys that that Florida State folks won't be familiar with, but Franklin is a kid from an athletic standpoint, <laughs> got to be about as talented as uh, you've been around. Yeah, he's uh, he's pretty fast. I ain't gonna lie, he's uh, he's extreme. He he's kind of my selling point for him. Uh, recruiting him was kind of the same thing for me. He he didn't fit Jimbo's offense, and neither did I. I mean, that's that's simple. I mean, anyone could see that. And just because it didn't work there doesn't mean it can't work anywhere else. You know, just because you, you weren't a good fit in that offense doesn't mean you can't play quarterback in college. I think I was a good example of that, and John's going to be another great example of that. Yeah, well said. Interesting comments. We're talking with Clint Trickett, and we'll wrap this up here shortly. Tom Block and, uh, and, and Keith Jones with you. Uh, Clint is a quarterback coach at East Mississippi Community College. Where where in Mississippi is that, Clint? That's in Scuba, Mississippi. It's six miles from the Alabama border. Uh, it's about an hour and 20 minutes away from Tuscaloosa. Population? 700. 100. 
Seven hundred and one. Now that you moved there, <laughs> there we go. Yeah, there's two. There's two gas stations, and the nearest grocery store is twenty six miles away. So <laughs> it's uh, it's it's definitely an oasis in its own in its own, in its own right. Yeah. Hey, l- let me ask you this, and and I don't know what your relationship was like with him. Ultimately, uh, when you know it was apparent he was going to win the job, is when you graduated and moved on to West Virginia, but. Uh, Jameis Winston, you know, being in the segment room or on the practice field with him, was there an aha moment early in your tenure when you saw him throw the ball or anticipate a read or something like that or or, or get up at the chalkboard and diagram something where your jaw just kind of dropped and you said, man, this this guy really has it? Uh, not really, honestly. I'm, I'm, I'm not lying. And because the majority of my time there when he redshirted, uh, I, when he, the year he was redshirting, I was, no offense, I was trying to leave. I, I took 18 hours in the fall to try and get out uh, and be able to transfer to West Virginia in that spring. Failed one class, wasn't able to do that, had to come back in the spring, then leave. Um, so I, he was during, doing scout team that year. I didn't get to see a lot of it. Um, I'd see it a little bit in individual. Um, but really in the spring when, you know, he, he, he did show some stuff. And honestly, the I'd say the aha moment was the spring game when he first played through a touchdown. I mean, gosh, you know, that, that, how, what better start can you ask? Um, but that's uh, he, he's honestly a great kid. Um, we'd, we'd talk a lot in the film room. We'd go over stuff. I'd help him out because I kind of knew I was a, a one-foot-out-the-door kind of guy, and I, I was going to help him out as much as I can, him and Jake both. Um, and he, honestly, he's exceeded everyone's expectations, I think. Clint, we we uh, we appreciate you spending uh, several minutes with us. Really candid stuff, good stuff, good insight. Uh, you're going to have to hang out with with uh, you know your dad Rick a little bit more and work on the humor. Are you going to mix that in as you as you evolve as a coach, or are you just uh, you know yeah playing? a little lighthearted at uh, during practice, a little uh, not paying uh, much attention. Make sure the kids don't have to work too hard, just <laughs> like your dad. Yeah, we're we're a laid back family. I think I get the same uh, same mentality as him. We're we're not you know. That, that, that's us. We're just laid back and chill. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, hey, listen, uh, sincere thanks to you for to, for joining us. Best of luck in your coaching career. Uh, I, I'm sure that uh, you won't be at East Mississippi Community College uh, f- for that long with uh, with your acumen and, and your contacts. Good luck to you. I appreciate it. Go Knowles. All righty. There you go. He's He's got to throw the Go Knowles and the, and the Go Mountaineers in there. But uh, that was good stuff. Keith, Keith, we'll react to that when we come back. You're listening to the uh, Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. It's presented by Hobson, Chevrolet, Buick, and Cairo. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Back with more on the Front Row right after this. <laughs> And welcome back to the front row. Tom Block and Keith Jones with you. Thanks so much for joining us, our uh, first ever show. We thank Clint Trickett. We're going to react to that, too, uh, momentarily. The front row presented by Hobson, Chevrolet, Buick, and Cairo. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Uh, interesting stuff from Clint. Before we uh, delve into that, I do want to point out it's uh, time for our Madison social segment. Keith and I and uh, most of Tallahassee at this point in Florida State nation i would say familiar with madison social but uh the social calendar looks like this if you're not aware they do trivia night each and every uh tuesday night they call it uh, trivia social wednesday night is uh, every wednesday from four to ten free blt dip from uh, four to ten with a food purchase and uh, they encourage you to grab a friend just be social 
Also, Throwback Thursdays takes place. And the big one on the uh, calendar right now. Uh, Happy a week, birthday to you. Yeah, don't Happy, sing. A I'm week sorry. from today, the two-year anniversary uh, for Madison Social. Big party from 7 to 9 on Wednesday, August 26. So get out there to Madison. So You know, Madison Social was uh, that, that Florida State winning streak coincided with the opening of Madison Social. I mean, so they were... They were 29-0 and 0 or whatever it was at, the, at one point, unbeaten till the Rose Bowl. All right, enough about that. We appreciate Madison Social being on board as well as our, our other fine folks that uh, are sponsoring the front row. Most interesting comment from Clint Trick in that previous segment. Well, the most interesting comment is a real simple one where he said he was taking 18 hours in the fall but didn't do well in a particular class or he was going to leave in December. Uh, had to come back in the spring and then left at the end of spring ball. Uh, that's the first uh, version of that particular story that I had heard. And then secondly, just uh, his candidness about the difference between the air raid offense and, and Jimbo's offense, uh, i.e. what West Virginia does, which is get to the line, run the play, doesn't matter what the defense is doing, run as quickly as you can, get them off guard, versus Jimbo's offense, which is no huddle, but is a little bit slower tempo and is trying to see what the defense is doing and react to it and and how it was difficult for him to go to West Virginia and even learn what he would categorize as maybe a little more simplistic. That leads me to believe that uh, Golston, you know, has got a continued uphill battle to learn this Jimbo offense. Well, I think that's interesting perspective. And, I, I, yeah, I'll pick up on your first point because had, had it worked out for Clint, he would have gotten to West Virginia – assuming that's where he would have gone and I'm sure it would have been in the spring correct which would have given him time to learn the offense and maybe then he doesn't it doesn't take till game four for him to become a starter but if you apply that to to Everett Golson what Jimbo has said publicly is that this is different than a high school kid he's you know he's he's played college ball he's at a much different learning level and all that is true what Clint's saying is having said that coming in in July and being up to speed in a more simple offense at West Virginia was hard enough for him and Clint was uh you know he graduated in a few years too so I mean that that to me means maybe we need to slow our roll a little bit and I say R I don't know we we, I haven't actually asked you who you think is going to be the starting quarterback the general thought process has been McGuire's going to start for a couple games and ultimately it's going to be Golson to oversimplify it well and and my take on it has always been that McGuire would begin the season as the starter and what Jimbo would do is is get specific situations where he would get Golson in to see how he react. Uh, I think that one of two things, and this is not brain surgery, but number one, if McGuire plays well, and I expect him to, I don't know that Golson can take the job from him. I think Jimbo will give Everett an opportunity to play in game action to see what happens. If McGuire struggles or doesn't uh, perform up to speed. I don't think Jimbo has any problem going to Everett, uh, much different than going to someone else who doesn't have big game experience, hasn't been on a national stage, uh, hasn't uh, performed at an elite level. Uh, So I think uh, the the leash may be a little shorter for McGuire than would normally be the case, but I'm of the opinion, we'll talk about this in the the, uh, weeks to come, that uh, I believe it's it's a position that McGuire can earn and keep. I don't think it will be taken away from him you know and you go back uh to when Golson came at the very least it it and uh well two things one if it ends up being mcguire's job that's a good thing that exactly. means you beat out Golson. but number two uh if mcguire does struggle you're not turning to to freshman or, or cosentino who doesn't have much experience right now you are turning to a guy who's played started 20 something games started a national championship game it, it, it's a it's a different comfort level but it is a comfort level i would think for jimbo as it relates to these two guys 
Yeah, no question. So Clint Trickett, uh, kind enough to join us. Scuba, Mississippi has not been... Uh, 26 miles to a grocery store. Yeah, it's not been circled on my list of places to visit. Not on your bucket vacation. list? No, not and, and list? it's not going to end up there based on that conversation <laughs> either. I can assure you of that. But uh, I, I, I'm serious when I say I don't think he's going to spend too long there. He has a very, very bright future. His trajectory, I think, is going to be out of sight. Yeah, you know, when I was uh, looking at it, he actually, and, and obviously he's got some contacts that help open some doors, but he had, you know, he talked to West Virginia and Kentucky and Alabama about some opportunities there. My guess is that those weren't on field become an assistant, so he took a quarterback coach job at, uh, in Mississippi. But I, I think uh, future bodes well for him. All right, we'll step aside, come back. We'll, we'll refocus on the Knowles. Tim Linnefelt from uh, Seminoles.com will join us momentarily. You are listening to The Front Row as we continue to broadcast from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District. Stay with us. back to the front row tom block and keith jones time now for our seminoles.com insider report with seminoles.com senior writer tim linnefelt jimbo fisher's post-game press conference streams live following every home game on seminoles.com you can watch it live on your phone or tablet via the seminoles.com mobile app it also streams live on your desktop via seminoles.com best of all it requires no subscription it is totally free seminoles.com the only place to watch jimbo's post-game pressers following every home game and if you tune in intently, you might even spy our insider, Tim Linnefeld, asking a question. Tim, how you doing? I'm doing great, Tom. How are you? Doing great. All right, so uh, we've got about 10 minutes. We'd like you to just totally summarize all of fall camp up to this moment in time. Go. Okay, well, first and foremost, uh, the football team is practicing. All right, what next? Okay, now, now back to you in the booth. Yes, we, we are aware of this, and it, this is the time, uh, and I came from a media background, so I used to do this as well, but... Uh, Summer and fall camp in particular is where everything becomes a story, even non-stories become stories because there's nothing else to talk about. So that said, what in your estimation have been the the biggest couple of stories uh, that are actually germane uh, or will prove germane to the, the upcoming season for FSU thus far? Well, of course, I think you have to start with the quarterbacks, and, and that's the obvious one. But just because it's obvious doesn't mean it's not true. Uh, there's a race going on to, to compare Sean McGuire, Everett Bolson, and J.J. Cosentino all competing to be the uh, the successor to Jameis Winston, who is you know one of the most successful quarterbacks in college football history. So it's a tough act to follow, but there are three guys that, that are looking to do it. And uh, it, it's been kind of fun to, to watch it and fun to chat with those guys, chat with, with Sean McGuire and Everett Bolson uh, earlier this fall. And, and the thing that kind of jumped out to me, man, is, is both those guys are, are really confident. Uh, they're they're complimentary of the other. I don't think there's any real animosity there. But you kind of get the sense that both guys feel like, you know, they're going to be the guy. Have you gotten any sense, even going back to the, well, I guess over the summer when the news was announced that Golson was coming, has there been any disappointment or frustration that you've seen anywhere along the way for McGuire since he, you know, appeared to be there apparent and then all of a sudden he woke up one day and uh, he's got company in the segment room there? If there is, uh, I, I think he's hiding it pretty well. Uh, certainly saying all the right things publicly. Uh, I mean, you're able to watch his body language uh, at practice and, and it's, he's not really, you're not really showing it. Um, you know, that said, uh, it's, it's only human nature, right? I think there has to be uh, at least a little bit, uh, you know, it, 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 it does impact him directly. 
uh, it's much more, of course, than if ever Golson weren't here. So, so I don't think anybody could blame him, uh, you know, if he if he didn't at least take it uh, a little bit. Um, I mean, he could take it personally and, and didn't take it just sort of as a uh, another challenge. And he acknowledged that uh, the other day is that you know it is a challenge, it's a competition, uh, and, and that's kind of the way you have to look at it. Because if you you know I think if you go from that if you, if you go too negative with that or take it too much to heart, uh, then that impacts your ability to perform, uh, and then you've got bigger problems. Tim, KJ here. The two things that have jumped out of me about McGuire is, number one, he is a very confident individual, not not even cocky. He's just confident. He he says, as you mentioned, the right things, does the right things. And secondly, superimposed upon that, he has reached out to Everett on occasion and will more is more than happy to sit down and discuss and talk about philosophies and things with him. I mean, I don't think you could have asked for a better reception by McGuire of Golson. Your thoughts? No, oh, I, I agree completely, one hundred percent. In fact, I really think it's it's pretty impressive uh, and speaks a little bit or a lot even to uh, Sean's character that. Here's a guy that, you know, look, everybody wants the team to win, and, and I think both guys would say that if the other guy, you know, it gives the team the best chance, that's fine. But, but at the same time, you know, they want to be that guy. Uh, and so and, and every, each one knows why the other one is there. So for, for them to be able to work together and, and for Sean to, you know, kind of welcome him in, and, you know, we talked about it with him the other day. We said, you know, if he's got questions about the playbook, uh, about the way that we do things here, you know, that, that's, that's kind of what I'm here for. Uh, and, and so, you know, I think regardless of how it shakes out, um, you know, it, it, it does speak to, to his character and his personality and, and the fact that it, it goes back to that confidence too, right? Um, you know, and Sean McGuire has a, a history of that. You know, it, it's, uh, it's been well documented that he came uh, arrived at Florida State in 2012 in the same signing class as Jameis Winston. And, you know, I remember at the time, everybody, even, even before he signed, everybody was like, well, well Sean, why, do you, why are you coming here? Uh, they, they're, they're signing Jameis Winston. Uh, and he's like, well, you know, I don't. That's that's fine. But but I believe in myself, and and I believe in, in what I can do, and and I'm here to compete. So, uh, in a lot of ways, it, it's kind of the same thing. The only negative, uh, Tim, that that I've seen of any significance, and it sounds trivial, but I was around Everett at, at Media Day. Uh, I stood up right beside him. He he is not a big dude. He he is rather small in stature. Is that is that going to end up being a problem somewhere down the road? And it is interesting, man. Uh, in fact, I, I sort of thought the same thing. You know, you can see uh, on the on the roster, you know, what, what what they're listed at, what all the players are listed at. But then you see him on the field, and I thought, man, you know, uh, he he is he is not as tall even as I thought he would have been. Um, kind of in the same way that you know when you see Jameis Winston in person, he's he's taller than you might think he than you might think he would be. And Everett Golson was kind of the opposite. And uh, you know what's really interesting about that was that uh, Jimbo Fisher mentioned after practice one day that that Everett Golson he's he's really learned to adapt to that. And that he he knows, uh, or at least in Notre Dame, what he's able to do was was know where the routes were going to be, know where the receivers were going to be, uh, and, and when you can do that and and have a good rapport with your receivers and trust, um, you can sort of anticipate where they're going to be and and know what you can see and, and and learn from that because you know obviously you know you're not always going to have a clear view beyond the pocket, uh, especially with some of those you know six five six six offensive linemen. So being able to you know be immersed in the playbook and have that rapport with the receivers to to anticipate uh, without necessarily seeing everything, it's, uh, it's a pretty valuable skill for him. Well, his coach uh, suffered from that same malady during his playing career, did he not? Indeed, indeed. Several have, and uh, Everett Golson would not be the first to overcome it. I suffer from that same malady in my non-playing career, just for the record. Uh, 
let's let's talk uh go beyond the quarterbacks here tim uh you know i started with a generic question biggest storylines i mean keith and i could lead you a lot of different directions but you're out there each and every day so i'm i'm more interested in your perspective on that uh second biggest storyline then after the quarterbacks uh to me and and you know i think it's a, a closer second than, than people might realize is uh is the pass rush uh florida state has to generate a pass rush if you look back at the the struggles defensively last year uh, there, there were certainly issues at every position group but you know a strong effective pass rush can mask so many other problems on a defense and, and last year florida state really just just didn't have one uh you know they were they ranked near the bottom of the entire country in sacks and obviously you know coach timber fisher said that uh that the sacks aren't everything and he's right about that they're not everything but if you're not able to, to affect the quarterback, not able to, to get after him, and, and you know last year, of course, they really struggled in that area. Uh, you see, you see issues uh, certainly in the passing game. It makes life more difficult for your secondary, uh, among other things. And so, you know, for them, yeah, I think that's a, a big priority. Uh, talking to Brad Long, the new defensive ends coach, I thought he was uh, was really insightful and, and really kind of matter of fact uh, about some of the things that, that he said about both the players and, and the team. Uh, so, you know, to me, it, how, how well that group comes together, how well the Chris Cashers and Marcus Walker, uh, some of the new guys, Josh Sweat, the, the freshman, uh, yeah, how well those guys are able to perform and, and, and affect opposing quarterbacks is going to be probably the, the biggest question mark for this year's defense. And, and Tim, I know Coach Kelly and, and Brad have also said that it's not just the statistical number of sacks they've got to find ways to put pressure on the quarterback that probably being more important than actually getting him down sometimes is affecting his throws making him throw early making him uh, throw uh, from an uncomfortable position uh getting pressure is step number one the sacks will come after that agree or disagree oh absolutely and i think that you know you don't view them as the same way but if the outcome is the same i think you're happy either way and you flashback two years ago and and obviously that was an all-time defense for for florida state in 2013 but but fsu that year led the country in interceptions now of course the the, the secondary gets a lot of credit for that but go back to the pass rush you know affecting the the angle of the pass forcing a bad pass forcing a you know a wobbly pass anything it all works in concert and and a year ago, that just was kind of missing. And when you don't have a pass rush now, your secondary, no matter how good they are, you're asking them to cover for three, four, or five seconds. And KJ, you know that's that's a long time to be back there trying to guard a guy one on one. There's no doubt, and, and and obviously that's a leading question. Talk about that secondary from the standpoint that that may be. Although there's plenty of defensive linemen, there's a lot of big bodies. They're just young, but in terms of reputation and performance, that secondary may be what leads this Florida State defense. I think it will be, and I think if you look at it, it's been that way for the, the past several years now. That Florida State has recruited as well in, in the secondary and the defensive backfield as anybody in the country. Uh, and you, you're talking about guys who are, are in and gone, and now that the next wave of them uh, are, are here now. It starts, of course, with uh, with Jalen Ramsey, uh, the, the cornerback slash safety slash nickelback slash everything slash uh, slash kick returner now. Star uh, money, uh, yeah. whatever, uh, app, stand, whatever you want to put on him. He, he does it all, man, and, and the, the best thing about him is as is, is, is good of an athlete as he is, as good of a player as he is, he quite obviously, I mean, he, he just takes it really seriously, you know what I mean? He has to be one of the most competitive athletes to come through here in the last five to ten years, uh, and, and now that he's a junior and now that he's one of the sort of elder statesmen uh, on the defense, you know, when he talks, those guys listen, and, uh, and I think that's a really, really valuable thing. Uh, I'm curious to see just how his move to cornerback goes this year, how much, he's gonna, how much time he's going to actually spend there. Matched up against uh, matched up against another team's number one receiver. I know talking to him about it both in the spring and the fall, 
Uh, he's enamored with the idea. You know, guys like that, especially DBs, when when you're super competitive th- th- that way, you know, you want to be one on one with the other team's best receiver and, and shut him down. And it's like you know, it's like the the alpha dog, you know, lion mentality or what have you. Uh, so, so I'm really uh, curious to see how that goes. Uh, and then otherwise, you've got a lot of guys with a lot of experience. Tyler Hunter's a fifth-year senior. Lamarcus Brutus is a fifth-year senior. Guys who have kind of been there before, seen the uh, seen the battles, if you will. Uh, Nate Andrews is a third-year player uh, back there at the safety and in the uh, in the money position. So uh, you got a lot of those guys who who have plenty of experience, and then are also bringing along. Uh, some really talented freshmen, some promising freshmen, uh, both uh, Tavares McFadden, who's a former five-star recruit who's been uh, been drawing some praise out of practice uh, when, when he's been able to get out there. I know he's dealt with a few injuries. Uh, and then also Marcus Lewis, who is a late addition to the class, is another guy who can uh, can bolster that secondary. There, there's talent up and down the field, uh, and, and, the, and the good thing is there's a lot of experience and a, and a lot of uh, promising young talent as well. It's kind of the, I guess, what you want as a coach uh, as far as your, your, uh, your cycle of DBs to go. He is Tim Linnefelt, the senior writer for Seminoles.com. He'll join us each and every week here on the front row. Tim, uh, just a last thought. What, what stories you got? What are you working on for Seminoles.com right now? Well, we got a couple things going. Uh, we're working on something with uh, with Mario Pender. Uh, chatted with him for a little bit uh, last week as far as his, uh, his increased role this preseason. Uh, Jimbo Fisher had uh, a ton of really good things to say about him. Uh, and then also going to take another look at the, uh, the pass rush. Uh, kind of what we talked about uh, just a little bit ago, how important that is and, and what they're doing to, to address it. Jimbo Fisher's post-game presser streams live following every home game on Seminoles.com. Watch it on your phone or tablet via the Seminoles.com mobile app. Also, you can stream it live on your desktop via Seminoles.com. It's all free, no subscription. It's the only place to watch Jimbo's post-game pressers following every home game. And the only place, well, it may not be the only place, but a place to, to listen to Tim Linnefeld on a weekly basis uh, <laughs> is, is right here. It, it, yeah, if you have uh, you know other obligations, we don't need to hear about them right now, Tim, but we know that you'll be with us each and every week. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, Tim Linnefeld, thanks so much. More to come uh, with Keith and Tom right here on the front row. We don't need no thought control. And just a couple minutes to go as we wrap up on the inaugural edition of The Front Row. Thanks to uh, our fine sponsors, Hobson Chevrolet Buick, Prime Meridian Bank, Seminoles.com, Madison Social, Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. Also, thanks to our guests today, Clint Trickett and Tim Linnefeld, who will join us on a weekly basis as our Seminoles.com insider. Uh, interesting, interesting show today. Uh, some good comments from both uh, Tim and certainly Clint. This is a quote-unquote technically the last week of camp, although have you noticed that Jimbo says there's two weeks remaining? Classes start on Monday, so I, I guess he's assuming that that first week of classes, because there's not a game at the end of it, is still part of camp. But technically, camp um, unfolds or or goes away this Saturday. Well, depending on who you talk to, what you would say is it doesn't even qualify as camp anymore compared to what you had. Well, to no, do no, no, day. no, no. It does qualify as camp. It does not qualify as two a days. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's stipulations against. That's a different world than the one you played in. If you haven't noticed, nah, three hours morning <laughs> in the afternoon, no water in the hot sun, uphill both ways in the snow. Well, how, how let's 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 throw this out there uh, in Leesburg, no less. That snow is brutal in Leesburg. How uh, when do you think Jimbo names the starter? Uh, I don't think he names the starter till the week of. Yeah. 
That's that's what I think too. And and I think he may or, or maybe following the last scrimmage right. before. And I and I think we're getting a lot. And I don't mean this disrespectfully because Jimbo's learned the trade. He's in year six now, uh, but he's given us a bunch of coach talk, coach speak. Uh, I think he knows uh, what's going to unfold, uh, even though it hasn't unfolded yet. So I think in his mind, if he had to make a decision today, he could make it. He's just not going to, and I understand that. Well, one thing that may help him make a decision, uh, probably we'll know by the time we we do this show next week, and that is Dalvin Cook's situation will will most likely be resolved one way or the other as we sit here, and that may impact, you, you know, Jimbo will know whether he's got a returning running back, maybe he doesn't, and I don't want to get into that, obviously, as we close the show right now, but that may that may help make the decision or, or learn more about the offense when you get Very that. much so, and, and I'm also told that, you know, Mario's been held out a little bit, and we talk about because it's, you know, it's his big toe and the toenail on his big toe, but it's a pretty significant injury that he has suffered along with uh, some other n- nicks and, and, and bruises, so... Uh, uh, however the running back situation works out, I think more than anything else, Jimbo would just like to know who who is it and then can game plan around it. Yeah, exactly right. All right, as we've uh, mentioned throughout the show, as you hopefully know now, uh, you need to uh, mark your calendars each and every week. Of course, you don't really have to do that now because you can podcast and we'll be posting this on the website and everything too. But uh, if, if you want to actually experience it in the moment, 6 to 7 o'clock every Wednesday, Tom and Keith uh, will be with you for the uh, front row. KJ, it was fun. Always. All righty. We will do it again next week. Thanks for tuning in. Radio history here on ESPN Tallahassee. Show number one. In the books.